Always has humanity been on the front lines of war. Not with their soldiers nor armadas, humanity had long ago decided that they would only wage defensive wars. They would only commit troops to conflicts that were righteous in nature. They never conquered. They refused to join in expansionist wars. But on every front line, in every army, humans were always there. It began when the human organization known as the Red Cross met the intergalactic agency called Hands for Hearts. They were found most often in the slums of megalopolises, the derelict space stations serving the poor. When Mount Rainier on the continent of North America finally erupted, the devastation wreaked on Soul 3 was incredible. Three billion humans died in a matter of days even counting every colony and every human traveling outside of the United Human Confederacy, humanity lost a tenth of their population. The Red Cross and its sister organizations, the Red Crescent, Red Crystal, and Red Lotus, could not together handle a fraction of the catastrophe. When Hands for Hearts dropped out of FTL above the skies of Earth, they appeared in numbers so vast the human scanners glowed to the point that one tech nearly went blind. The UHC military went to Defense Condition Omega, nearly firing on the organization. Luckily, a human that had been volunteering for the organization was able to get to a communications center to ease the situation. Then they landed. They brought atmospheric scrubbers to prevent an ash winter, firefighting vessels that could drop millions of gallons of water at a time to extinguish forest fires, housing units that could be emplaced in minutes with the capacity to hold hundreds of families agricultural equipment that tilled acres upon acres of land a day to re-establish sustenance production, cloning systems to re-establish both domestic livestock and wild fauna. They carried the capacity to essentially re-terraform an entire continent. It all came without cost, without expectation of recompense, without any strings attached. Millions of scientists, engineers, technicians, and workers volunteered four Earth months of their lives for a species that was not their own to rebuild an ecosystem and a peoples on a planet that was not within their realms, all funded by donations, the wages of the labors of a hundred different species and a trillion different souls who could have used those credits for their own luxury. Humanity was grateful. The entire species, which had not conducted a single major operation of any sort on an interstellar scale, came together with a singular focus, repaying a debt that none ever asked to be repaid. It took three years for humanity to recover, far less time than any human had expected when the news broke of the Rainier eruption. By the end of the fourth year, the I.O. shipyard had launched the new Tabib-class carrier support ship, the UHS Hippocrates. It came armed not with railguns or missile pods or energy weapons, but with a fleet of rock-class landing ships equipped with a full medical staff and enough rooms to hold a hundred patients as they recuperate. Within seven months, a half-dozen more were patrolling the human sector, landing in distant colonies to provide medical assistance, improve the health of the residents, and overall healing the colonists before taking off and flying to the next colony. Then the war started. Two members of the Imperium, the coalition of nearly 40% of the many species of the Milky Way, began a territorial dispute that quickly turned violent. Worlds were attacked, cities razed, continents burned. As soon as the military that conducted it left, a human fleet dropped out of FTL. At first, the residents of Choctaw thought the military fleet had returned to finish the devastation. Then they saw the markings. The first ship, Borzoia, landed near the rubble that was one the largest city in the planet's western hemisphere. It was gargantuan, 
fully four miles long, larger than most species' capital ships and carriers. On her hull showed a massive white field, centered in which was a red crescent moon. From within came hundreds of vessels of various types, half a dozen hospital-sized recovery wards with their own flight capabilities, dozens of air ambulances, scores of emergency medical landing teams. The sheer scope of the one craft put most militaries to shame, and the humans landed nearly thirty in a single day. In fourteen hours, a quarter of the surviving population had at least spoken to a medic or nurse or doctor. They spent days upon end reattaching lost limbs, sewing plasma wounds shut, reconnecting torn ligaments, performing more medical treatments than can be counted. Their doctors were more fluent in xenobiology than most other species were in their own native bodies. When all was complete three weeks later, the population was twice as large as would have been expected thanks to the Interstellar Red Cross Society. The most revealing thing about humanity happened when the UHS Memorial landed, carrying digging teams, priests of every human religion, and coffins. So many coffins. They immediately found religious representatives from the planet and arranged funerary rites for every lost soul. The humans moved mountains upon mountains of rubble, finding every body, limb, hair, every bit of the people who had died during the attack. They had to dig mass graves the size of canyons just to bury the dead they numbered so many. And they watched. They watched as High Priest Toarn sang the Song of Mourning in front of the memorial grave marker, and they wept. They wept in a way that no other could. They wept not from sympathy nor empathy. They wept from memory. They had felt the loss that the Choctari were feeling now, of the knowledge that loved ones were gone forever of the lonely beds in the empty cradles, of schools abandoned because there were no teachers to teach and no students to learn, of the derelict cities because there were no residents to inhabit them. By the time Hands for Hearts had dropped in, all that was left was the economic rebuilding. The bodies were healed, but more importantly, the souls were healed. Humanity left the Choctari to let Hands for Hearts do their work. Humanity had more work to do. The war continued for months. The humans pushed closer and closer to the front lines, evacuating civilians, treating wounds, anything they could do to alleviate the pains. Eventually they began receiving the wounded soldiers from the armies, and humanity did what they do best. They healed them. They sent teams directly to the combat units, medics and priests with scant more than band-aids and Bibles to face the horrors of war. They healed and sometimes they died caught in the crossfire of armies. Humans appeared on every front line, healing both armies' soldiers without question, without complaint. They were sentients, and all sentients had a right to live. They patched up those they could, evacuated the rest. They became a staple of every army. To have a human medic near you was to know in your heart that you would see your family again. That is how humanity repaid the debt no one asked them to. That is how the humans stopped needing any military force outside of to police their own people and stop piracy. The humans never needed any military because they had everyone else's. The sole time humanity was attacked, a thousand ships from nearly a hundred species appeared and obliterated the offenders. It was not out of any need to remain in the humans' favor, nor fear that the humans may recall their medical support. It was because the humans had earned their place among the stars. Now there in one title that is held above all others in the UHC. When a human walks in bearing a Sestra tab on their sleeves, generals stand and salute.
They are welcome in any space, given authorization to land on any planet. They are our healers, our nurses and doctors and combat medics and hospice caretakers. They devote their lives to serving others. They bleed so others don't have to.